Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Fortress of Comic News, episode 196. I am one of your hosts, Chris, alongside the nutritious Mike. That's uh, more or less, I guess, somewhat true. I don't know. <laughs> I definitely eat less than I used to. So, um, It's uh, better than slippery, the slippery Mike. <laughs> Uh, there was a time where I would I would eat you know a triple, a triple from uh, Wendy's and my face was very slippery after that. But now I just I'm down to a double. So I, you can say I'm more nutritious, less slippery. I went down to a double, but then I went back up to the baconator. So I don't know how. <laughs> I think I just gave up one problem for another. <laughs> Lost a patty, gained six strips of bacon. You know it's. <laughs> It's the American way. Yeah, <laughs> I don't see a problem with that. Uh, today on the show, we have an interview with uh, John Hervey. Um, we're going to talk about his Indiegogo Magna the Last Pantheon, so stick around for that. He's got some other cool stuff on his website we're going to be talking about. So, um, yeah. yeah, kicking off the new year with some interviews. Yeah, got some good ones lined up, too. I'm pretty happy. I'm, I'm stoked. Yeah. Hope you all enjoyed last week. And, yeah, uh, I, uh, yeah, I wasn't on for that one, but we're gonna. I'm gonna be back for them all. I'm doing it. It's gonna happen. Yeah. I'm, uh, currently gone mobile for a little bit, but uh, hopefully that gets resolved in about a month or so. And yeah, Mike's yeah. hiding from the law, everybody. So <laughs> just give him a little bit, and then what do you put it out there? Yeah, I mean, come <laughs> on, it's like okay, well, now everybody, the cat's out of the bag. I'm on the run. I was well, uh. Yeah. Speaking of hiding from the law, I had people over at my house yesterday. <clears throat> oh. And uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, invited two friends over. I know, I know. Uh, mm-hmm. My governor's coming for me. Are you but uh, yeah, we all wore our masks. We're socially distant. We're we're good. Right, you can do that. Yeah. <laughs> we played. Uh, I bought with uh, the money I got from uh, Uncle Donnie. Uh, mm-hmm. Batman, the animated series Gotham Under Siege. I have that game. It's awesome. Yeah, and it's a lot of fun. So yeah. I figured I got money from the government. I should spend at least some of it on myself before I send the rest of bills. Oh, it makes sense. And uh, uh, yeah, that, that game is pretty cool because if I remember you, like, you could be a bunch of people from the Bat family, but you also like can jump on you like you jump on top of buildings, right? Is that how you like traverse the map? Yeah, so there's there's four quadrants of the map, and then you right. can also be on a building. And there's benefits to that, where you can be in all areas of the map at once, but then you also can't defend against certain things. Also, you run the risk of like things blowing up and you dying in it. Yeah, but yeah. it's yeah, it's a lot of fun, and uh, it was cool having uh, a full group to play it with. And I always like a good cooperative board game. We're all working together to try to finish a goal. It's always a lot of fun. You always have that one friend that always wins at the, you know, the the free for all board games. There's always that one person that just dominates. It's not me, by the way. That's why I'm so salty about it. <laughs> well, for me, it's always we. You know, I have a lot of friends who are board game nerds, and we all have our own board games, and we bring them over. And when it's competitive, it's always like the person who brings it is usually the one that wins because they know how to play, and the rest of us are learning. So I kind of like cooperative because we can all like I knew how to play because I I bought it I read the book I saw how to play, but then as we're playing like everybody's learning together but we're all helping each other to try to do something it just makes for a more fun experience 
as opposed yeah. to just like me bringing over Settlers of Catan where nobody else knows how to play and be like, well, I guess I owned all of you motherfuckers. Yeah, I just won and beat you all while yeah. you're all learning, so screw you. Um, there's another cool one I played recently. It was Villainous, the Disney one. I keep looking at that one because I think there's my like girlfriend would like that. That's pretty cool. It's a little complicated at first, but like once you get into the swing of things, it's kind of cool um, if you're a fan of Disney stuff. So what do you think? You jump into the news, the lack thereof for for the the viewing entertainment stuff? Yeah, let's go ahead and do it. Um, I will say I'm almost done with Cobra Kai. I believe I'm on the last episode. So um, season three is just as good as season one and two. And I think they've already uh, greenlit a season four. So you know how Netflix goes. They don't need to report any of their numbers. Um, you know, Billy Zabka is just killing it. Uh, this season really focuses on Crease. Um, you know, the, the head of Cobra, the founder of Cobra Kai and like what he went through when he was over in Nam, like, uh, why he's such a piece of shit now of like the shit he had to go through when he was in the war. So that's, um, and it's an interesting fact, the actor, I can't think of his name right now, but it's his son in real life that plays him in the, in the flashbacks. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And then we get the trip to Japan. So, um, uh, you know, Daniel's son goes back to Japan like he does in uh, Karate Kid 2. And we get some old characters coming back, some old rivalries. Uh, really, really cool couple episodes of him going to Japan. Dee Schneider's in this season, the uh, the lead singer of Twisted Sister. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, and that's all you need to know to watch the season. <laughs> like, uh, it's, it's, like, really funny. He, like, sneaks a kid into a concert and uh, who's, like, ha- who's, like, down and out. And uh, he tells uh, he tells D. Schneider that he's a Make-A-Wish Foundation kid when he's not. It's really messed up. <laughs> uh, but D. Schneider still got the vocals, man. It's it's awesome. So yeah, it's a really fun season, really cool show. Um, and I think if you're not watching, even if, like I know people that aren't into Karate Kid that are watching it, so it's just a cool show for sure. Yeah, I've mostly been watching, um, rewatching once again The Office. Um, mm. I know I know we did a lot of Office stuff last week, so I won't go into it, but. Yeah, it's just a good show. And that and uh, trying to go through and watch South Park as well. Um, There's a lot. There was like a period where I stopped watching and then I got back in and I stopped watching. So I'm trying to get through and watch all those. And like that show's just super funny. Oh, yeah. Um, And both those shows for me, too, are just like there's not a whole lot I got to pay attention to in terms of like actually sitting down and like that's my focus. I can kind of have them on while I'm doing something. And uh, this week in particular has been super crazy, personally, beyond everything going on outside of our sphere. Um, so it's just been nice to have something like simple to kind of just have in the background to entertain me while I'm trying to get work done. Yeah, and like the early episodes are so completely different from like where we are now that it's like every episode is a current event, you know? Yeah, and even like it's funny because I think where I where I fell off was right around like somewhere within a year or two of when the video game came out, the first video game, if you remember that whole period. First-person shooter one? What's that? First-person shooter one for N64? No, the, um, I'm sorry, the Stick of Truth. Oh, Stick of Truth. Oh, yeah. I was going way back. Like N64. Yeah, yeah, you're going way back, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I'm even going back to, like, some where it's, like, uh, Rand- it's before Randy had the weed farm, and, okay. like, he's lowered. Yeah. And all this stuff. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. So it's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am worried that whole episode. 
Yeah. So it's funny because like a lot of that still holds up, even though, it, like you said, it's very like current events oriented, and it's still just like hit the same way with me uh, personally when I watch them. So at least when they're they're doing current events, but it seems to stick for the most part. Um, you know, my Disney Plus subscription got re renewed this week, and I was like, well, why the hell do I need this? And then I reminded myself that WandaVision comes out in five days. Um, so bam, we got the we got that trailer that gives us a little more look into what the plot is they're definitely trapped in whatever weird timeline multiverse thing um just before we started recording you brought up that you thought it was like a black hammer situation right yeah it really gives me like black hammer vibes where they're stuck in some sort of like town or maybe something outside of the their universe like in a parallel dimension and uh, they're they're going through events that are being shifted by someone else outside of themselves right. and trying to get out of it. But yeah. yeah, I got heavy, heavy Black Hammer vibes from it. Yeah, especially like, I mean, you see like there's, they show you like there's a force field around the town, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, there's weird that like error, like four or full, four loading shit. Like, you know, when you play GTA and like someone loads like five times, there's like a guy coming out of a sewer that shouldn't be coming out of a sewer in like a beekeeper outfit where it's like, they're trying to put something together, and and it looks like we get several different eras too. I mean, you get like the fifties. We definitely see the eighties there. Um, we see we see a glimpse of like Vision in his classic old school costume. So, yeah. I'll say it might be just the fact that I'm so hungry for some Marvel MCU entertainment. But after watching this trailer, it's the first time I've been excited for this show. Mm-hmm. Right. I really feel like I understand what the show is going to be and have a feeling of what I, I might get out of it. So, and yeah. it's Friday. It's going to be this Friday. This coming Friday, we're going to be watching it, everybody. Like, right. it's going to be fun. I can't wait. And it's only one episode, right? It's not the whole season. Yeah, if I remember correctly, it's they're doing the the same as the Mandalorian. It's one episode a week, so we can do it as an event. And I I personally like that. I just I think it's better than binging, but that's me. Yeah, I guess we'll have our reviews up for the weekend. That'll be interesting. Yeah. So we'll definitely be talking about that next week. Yep. So let's uh, <laughs> let's jump into this awesome interview with John, and uh, we'll see everybody on the other side. Welcome back, everybody. Today we got another awesome guest for you all. Um, a guy I actually met because he was being interviewed alongside me, which doesn't seem right because uh, I read his books, and they're way better than mine. But... Uh, a awesome guy. I'm glad to introduce you all to John Hervey. Welcome to the show, John. Oh man, thanks a lot, bro. And that's uh, that's. I feel very uh, humbled <laughs> that, you say, <laughs> that you would say that, bro. Because there's a lot of good content out there right now. Yeah, and I mean, it, from nonetheless, I mean, it's just the amount of content that you have out there too, compared to Chris's one book. So yeah, it's just, that's it's just some quality. Of, I mean, there's a lot of bad stuff out there too, but your stuff is awesome. So um, I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. So, I mean, before we get started here, I mean, we always talk about origins in comics. Um, yeah. So give us your origin story here. I mean, where did it all start for you? Were you always reading comics or where did it all Man, begin? if it wasn't for comics, I probably wouldn't have been reading. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, yep. it's like oh, I hear my, that. Yeah. my mom would buy me comic books and like uh, her friends would be like, why do you get him comics? Because she's like, he'll actually read something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, that's that's what gets me to read. Honestly, you yeah. know, it's like, are you sure he's not looking? Just look at the pictures. No, not 100 percent sure. But he's at least going for the words. <laughs> There's so, some words there. Yeah, yeah, there are exactly. words there and he's trying to understand the story. So it's, it's yep. all good. Right. I mean, 
you know, for me, comics, um, it's the first medium that I fell in love with and it's still my favorite. And I think in the last couple of years, it's become my favorite again, just because I see all the great indie work that's being done. Um, when I, you know, age myself, when I, when I started reading comics, you could get them at the local drugstore. Yep. Uh, so like, you know, I'd go with my mom, uh, there's this place called Webster's, uh, it was a pharmacy, uh, near where we lived and they had a spinner rack, bro. And then they expanded to two spinner racks. So it was better than the 7-Eleven. There's a 7-Eleven yeah. across the street, but that had one spinner rack. But one spinner rack, yeah. Freaking Webster's, dude. Yeah. Had two spinner racks. That's unheard of. Oh, man. It was insane. There were so many books to choose from. We didn't, yeah. I mean, like, you go there and it's just like, you know, I hope that mom is ordering every drug in the book <laughs> and that it's going to take forever for her to get her stash. Yeah, right. Because that's, that's so you're just, you're sitting there and it's like, okay, I'm going to take, if it's a good day, I may get two books. Right. You know, I may, I may, yeah. I may, I may come out with two books. So it's like, yeah. Yeah, at the time, I knew, I knew, like, I, I would watch the Super Friends. So, like, I knew Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, yep. you know, Aquaman. I knew those characters, but, like, I hadn't pieced it together that they were the Justice League. So, I, I hadn't figured that out. I'm like, oh, okay. there's no Super Friends comic book. But, yeah, you know, yeah. You know right. so I didn't figure that out. Um, and, like, they, they explain like, it either. They don't, like, you know, no. they're not, like. <laughs> like, they, they never just, like just cross that bridge and just say, yeah, you know, like, right. you know, which, which, which is fine, but it's just like, I didn't figure it out. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, nah, if there's a super friends comic, I'd pick it up, but you know yeah. what? Here's Batman. I'll pick yeah. that up. Yeah. Awesome. And the, like the old Spider-Man book was our old Spider-Man cartoon was showing like those old Marvel. So like, yeah. I would pick up like Spidey, yeah. um, you know, Thor, Iron Man. Those are the ones, the Hulk, mm -hmm. but I'll tell you what happened. Like, so, and this is back in the day, it wasn't cool to be a comic book collector. Oh, no. So way. it's like, even so a reader. Like, yeah. Dude, uh -huh. no, no. So, mm. I mean, at that point, I wasn't considering myself a collector, but I was a reader, but that wasn't yeah. cool. So it's like, right. it's one of those things where one of my buddies, we happened to see each other at the drugstore at the same time. We were both looking at the comic graph. So we found out we both like comics. Okay, cool. Mm. So that's good to know. So then, he was he was collecting Daredevil, so I said, okay, I don't need to collect Daredevil because my man picks up Daredevil. Okay, so then what else? You know, so I'm like, I'll pick up some other books. But he was already like, I'm a collector and I'm collecting Daredevil. I'm like, dude, that's pretty bold of you, man. Yeah. You know, I was like, does anybody know you're a collector? Nah, bro. You know, <laughs> I don't tell anybody. Yeah. This this isn't kind of, this isn't like information out for the masses. Like, you know right. that kid. You know that kid at school. Right. That gets picked on because he brings his comics to school. You know that yep. kid. Yep. You know. Oh, so yeah. It's just, I wasn't going to be that kid. No way. I'm not going to be that kid. You know, so yeah. we were, so he was picking that up. And then one day I went to the comic shop and I looked at this book and it had this giant crusher creel on it. He, he was like on a, uh, he was like on a freighter. He'd absorbed the freighter. He was holding up Miss Marvel, like the awesome Miss Marvel, not today's Miss Marvel. Okay. He was holding up Miss Marvel. Like he was yeah. King Kong and Iron yeah. Man was attacking him and the beast was attacking him. And I was like, this looks cool. Yeah. So little did I know that the artist was John Byrne. Oh, so, man. Yeah. So, bro, I picked up this book, and it was like it – was, it was an epiphany. I mean, mm -hmm. light, the whole – I mean, like, I read this book over and over that right. same day. 
Yeah. And like we're in the car, my mom was like, "Ah, oh, you know, don't read in the car; it's bad for your eyes." You know, the car's <laughs> moving. Like, I don't care, man. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. We're at the dinner table. I still got the comic with me. She's, you know, yeah. I'm like, "Hey, mom, I am now a comic book collector." She's like, "Look, that's great, baby. Finish your vegetables." <laughs> <laughs> you know. So I'm like, I just made like the biggest profession. Yeah. And it still stands. Decades later, here I here I still am loving yeah. comic. Yeah. But man, you know, that when I that Avengers book, bro, I mean, the story, the art, I mean, it was just like uh it was just like the perfect meal. Like when you have all of the elements in there and it's all perfectly put together and you and you I was just like and and the thing is you still have your, your own imagination because even in between the panels you you have all 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 room for your own imagination. I was like, this is the best. And, you know, I got in my own idea. I got my own head, like what I think the different characters look, sound like, or whatever, and you're just like, Oh man. Yeah. And I was just That's like, it. I love comics. I That's mean, it. this this has to be the greatest thing ever. You know, yeah. I remember uh when Spider Man and his amazing friends were out, um, that cartoon they showed, uh, it was like the first time the X-Men were shown mm -hmm. and, me, and me and my friends were so hyped, you know, me and kind of like my under, underground comic book buddies, we yeah, were all yeah. so hyped for seeing the X-Men. And I wasn't an X-Men guy. I was an Avengers guy, you know, but a lot of my buddies were X-Men guys and I, I respected the X-Men. I thought they were dope, but I was like, look, you know, I got us, I get two books, maybe a week, you know, I'm going to pick up a couple other books. I'm going to pick up the Avengers, probably not the X-Men at the time. Yeah, but I was like, hey, you know, X Men, and they had they had Wolverine on there, and it was dope. But the crazy thing was like, it was probably maybe one of the better renditions of him because they gave him like a French Canadian accent, <laughs> so it totally wasn't what any of us had in our heads what Wolverine right. would sound like. Oh man, you know, so we were just like, we're it was cool but weird. We're like, okay, that's, that's not. It's not what I was thinking about. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. but that's cool. <laughs> it wasn't but, like when Batman speaks and it's Kevin Conroy and you're like, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm like, okay, that, that's bad. That's Batman. Yeah, that's Batman. You know? But uh, I was like, that's awesome. I was like, wasn't expecting the French Canadian Wolverine. Right. You know, right. nobody ever is. I don't think. <laughs> no. No. I mean, that, but, that's kind of where Chris is. Chris was always an Avengers guy. And now he, I mean, you're finally reading X Men, Chris, right? It, they finally yeah, pulled for, you over there. For the first time in my life, uh, Hickman got me to read X-Men. Like, on the regular, I'm enjoying it all the time. I've picked up books here and there that I've liked, but never been, like, an X-Men hardcore reader. Mm. Yeah, so that was uh, kind of a, a transition for you, too. Yeah, it just I'll follow Hickman to the ends of the earth. Like, it, I'm a believer in what that dude does and has done in the past, and I love his work, so... I was I was more than willing to follow him into X Men. Yeah. He got me to read Fantastic Four again. Yeah, yep, yep. It's the only Fantastic Four in my life I've read that I enjoyed, mm. like modern stuff. I, some yeah. I like some of the old stuff, especially the Burn stuff, but like stuff yeah. that's come out in my lifetime. Yeah, I mean, like for you to like pick up a book and it be Burn art, it's like, oh yeah, that'll that'll keep you reading comics for a while. I would think, you know. It'll it'll keep you reading comics, but it also sets a high flipping bar. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yep. just kind of like you know, you're following Hickman. I was following Byrne all over the place. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I followed him from Marvel to, to DC when he was doing like uh, Man of Steel. And they did yep. the first crisis. With, I mean, you got Perez, you got Byrne. I mean, you've got just legends that are working right. on this stuff. I and know. I'm a kid, so I can't, I know it's awesome, but I can't fully appreciate the full awesomeness of it. It's just awesome. I'm like, yeah, this is great. This is what, this is what comics are. You know, you've got, you got Frank Miller working on Daredevil. I mean, it's just like, you know, you look back on it and we're just like, holy smokes. Yeah. You know, they're they're like the legends of their time, you know? Exactly. So, I mean, eventually you got, you were like, I could, I could start developing characters of my own. I mean, when did that start for you? You know, I was always writing and creating. So I was, I was, I was making, you know, stories with existing characters Mm-hmm. Um, then when I was, when I was in college, a buddy of mine, he got a job as an editor, um, Motown had, they, they set up a, it was supposed to be an animation division, but it ended up being just a comic book groups cause they never made any animation. Yeah. And this was in the mid nineties. They set this up. And so I, I was living, I've lived in, I lived in LA almost my whole life. We just moved out to Houston in the last year, but in the mid Wilshire district of LA Motown had an office and that's where they set up their animation group. Okay. So Michael Davis, who was uh, one of the milestone founders, yep. him and his guy and a bunch of his, like kind of his, his young, his young guns, his studio was called bad boy studios. They came from New York over to the mirror, to LA uh, miracle mile area. And, uh, they established Motown Machine Works, which was the comic book. Uh, that was really kind of the, the name. And my buddy's like, hey, I think I can get you on board. So he got me on board as a gopher. Oh. So it was, but it was awesome. So, I mean, like I had my hands in everything, you know, really? I was hanging out with the, the cat. He was an editor. I was hanging out with the editing team. I was hanging out, you know, like Crystal de Mayor. That's where he got started off as a colorist. Yeah. Uh, so Soto, I was hanging out with Soto, I was hanging out with, um, you know, a number of the artists. And at the same time, this was in the mid-90s, so Michael Davis had put a deal together with Image. So I got to meet, I be, like became friends with folks like Marat Michaels, who was over at Extreme, who was in Anaheim with uh, Rob Liefeld. Uh, some older heads that no longer in the game so much, like Jonathan D. Smith was over on the west side with Top Cow. So the top cow guys, um, uh, Michael Turner, you know, rest in peace. His, you know, his company was on the, on the west side as well. Uh, so just a lot of cool comic book kids, man. But those dudes, the difference was I was a gopher. Those cats, they were making money. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. they were on books. I remember when I first, like, Murad and I had hooked up and he drove out from Anaheim. He drove out in this crazy sports car, man. <laughs> you know? And I'm just like, and I'm, I'm got my bucket. And he's yeah. just like, hey, man. So we, ho- I hopped in his ride. We went up to Melrose. There was a, yeah. a Golden Apple up there, yep. which is a you know, big comic book store. So we went yep. and got some comics and just hung out and just, you know, just talked a lot of crap and, you know, just had fun. And, yeah. you know, it was just it was a, it was like a crazy time because it was such a speculative market that those guys that were creating books and that were on books, they were making big money, yeah. you know, and um that's why Motown got into it. They thought, oh, we're going to have million unit books. Well, they got yeah. into it probably about a year and a half too late. Yep. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people thought that. <laughs> every, every book was going to be the million-unit book, you know, especially when it blew up in the 90s. Yeah, so, and that yeah. was the mentality. So the mentality yeah. is, hey, you know what? Yeah, you know, they were making music. They're like, hey, man, looks like comics are even more profitable. We're going to get into the comic book <laughs> game and, you know, Michael Davis and his team, they're going to create IP and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, needless to say – you know, they the book sold a fraction of what they thought they were going to sell. So Motown's like, we're out of there. Right. But right. kind of the cool thing before that happened, though, was um, I got to edit some books. And then one of the last books that Motown Animation published called Trouble Man, um, you know, back in the day. Well, it's still 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 today for those that go to the comic book shop, you know, that, that sell through the comic book shop. You got to go through Diamond. Mm-hmm. And um Motown had already put their solicitations in for, for, for this book, but the, the writer ghosted. So my boss was just like, hey, look, you've been sweating me for like two years now about writing stuff. And I'm, I'm, I was always hitting him up with ideas. And he's just like, look, man, I got writers. You know, you're getting a little bit of editing work. That's good. Can you just like go get me some coffee and just, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, I was like, I was like, so that was pretty much me. Um, yeah. But then I got so I, long story short, I got to write that miniseries uh, just because the writer ghosted. Um, you know, my boss was like, it was like a Thursday. He's like, hey, I want you to come back on Tuesday. I need a story arc flushed out. I need the first issue. No, and he put a little, he's like, hey, don't worry about it. He's like, but you know, you don't do well with this. You definitely won't be working anymore in this industry. But hey, no pressure. Just, just go make it happen. But no I didn't pressure. tell Mike, <laughs> I didn't tell Mike till years later that I, I actually had a whole bunch of stuff already written. Mm. Because that's I loved that story for Trouble Man and the dude, the artist Chuck Drost. Mm-hmm. All these kids they were from New York, so none of them could drive. So they uh, all lived really close to the office. Okay. So after work, we would either back then Doom was the game, play Doom, yep. or yep. or just you know go go riff about some comic book stuff. So I had a whole bunch of stuff already written up for him. Yeah. So my boss didn't find out until years later after I was no longer working for him. He's like, oh, you bastard. I was like, yeah, I, had, I pretty much already had the stuff already scripted out. But, you know, you know, put that together. And he's like, OK, this looks good. And that's what we ran with. And that was the first time I was published. Awesome. Um, and that was cool. And it gave me the itch. But you know what? Being published once, it doesn't it's not it's by no stretch is that a guaranteed of continued work. And. That just it wasn't. I just didn't get continued work on any kind of a consistent basis that I could call a career, you know. So doing my doing my day gigs, doing doing my other stuff, and, and I think now with crowdfunding, with this community, uh, I'm in a place now where I can at least start releasing books and yeah. just getting the machine moving. Right. I mean, and successfully too, because we're. You're almost at fourteen hundred percent with seven days left on on Magna. That's awesome. No man, I, I you know what this is, but it's going on shows like yours. I mean, this is what really yeah. moves the whole. This is what makes the whole machine work. Yeah, yep. That's you awesome. know, and that's why I think a lot of folks that maybe are, um, you know, because the industry is changing now. You know, folks mm-hmm. that maybe have had a lot of success at the big two, they may find it challenging. Mm-hmm. You know. It's a different world now. I mean, it's one thing to have, you know, a Marvel stamp on your book or a DC stamp on your book in itself. But it's yeah. another thing to, to have a book and just say, like, hey, you know what? I used to write X-Men. Come buy my book. Mm-hmm. People still want to know what you're about. They still want to see what you're doing. And they right. still want to see that you're not, you know, you're not a jerk. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah. part of it too. You got to be nice on Twitter. <laughs> oh man, so many lessons learned, man. So I mean, it's like <laughs> you see people's egos, and you're just like, yeah, you know, they just thought they were going to show up and throw up, and yep. people were just going to scoop it and just eat it all up. And it's just like it yeah. doesn't. Come on, man. So was the first book you worked on when you decided to, you know, you realized the the indie space was there, you could do crowdfunding, was the first book uh, Black Tiger? It was. It was. And um, I have, you know, probably like a lot of folks, I have submitted so many pitches to the big two over time. And I was actually talking with an editor and this was a this was a different idea that I started talking with an editor over at DC about initially. And then I was like, hey, can you kind of forget we had started having these conversations? He's like, what? I said, I think I'm going to try and, and tweak this idea and self-publish. And he's like, okay, yeah, sure, go for it. You know, and this was kind of one of those things where I realized, you know what? I think I can do this myself. I think I can I can, you know, bring this property to the table the way that I want it brought to the table. Uh, you know, I have nothing against editors. You know, you need an editor. Every book needs a good editor, you know, but it's like, you know, when when it's not your property, you just don't have the say-so about certain things. And also, you know, companies like that, they've got an idea of where they want their whole universe to go. And maybe what you're thinking just doesn't fit in with that. You know, I know people get upset, but you can't get upset. I mean, it's their stuff. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's like if they got plans and what you're saying doesn't, doesn't line up with the plans you can either do something of your own or just you know be butthurt yes so, sure. so i was tired of being butthurt so i was like you know what i'm gonna do my own book we've talked about it so many times in the show where we've been doing this long enough and i've been both mike and i have been like a part of comics world long enough where i see an indie book come about and i'm just like i guarantee you that was a pitch to big two and it was turned down and they said fuck it i'll do it myself yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah Yeah. and and it's funny how that kind of works but you know so to me it's like the big two that's that's still i mean that that's kind of where this that is for sure where all of this started and that's where everybody's heart is at Mm -hmm. you know but i think now you know it's kind of a we're in, in a kind of a renaissance right now for comics and we're seeing a whole new set of folks that are bringing their their projects to the table, their IP to the table. And I'm really, I mean, I'm really excited to see what these next couple of years are going to bring and how this whole thing is going to kind of morph. Because, you know, people said, hey, you know, there, this is, it isn't going to be sustainable to do what you guys are doing. But you know what? It's being, it's proving to be different than what, what some, some of the naysayers are saying. And I, I know it's going to, it's going to morph. Whatever it's going to look like is going to morph, but we're all here. We're all a part of it. You know, I think I think we're all going to continue to grow. We're all going to continue to figure it out more. And uh, you know, we're we're all. I, I'm excited, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's it's cool to see how it's like evolved. I mean, from going going from okay, well, this book won't even ever get made to like, oh, let me throw it on Kickstarter, Indiegogo, and oh yeah, a lot of people want to see this be made. You know, yeah. yeah. And then, then you realize that the the next part of the business then becomes how do people get to see your book? Mm. So our industry now is so different than it was before because before it was, okay, well, you know, Diamond solicits to the retailer and then 
the retailer puts the book on the shelves and of course and it's in the diamond previews book and then people either go get it or not but it's totally different now now it's like if you're not a part of you know if you're somebody that is that has a show then you're an integral part if you're somebody that retweets and shares you're an integral part of success so i realize now it's it's just um it's community now it's it's absolute community yeah yeah no for sure yeah i've seen a lot of people just in the general internet atmosphere whether it's you know they have a show about knitting or comics or whatever saying that the future is really just these close-knit small communities you know a couple thousand to a hundred thousand strong yeah. And not as much trying to hit millions upon millions of people. Like, you'll still get those here and there, but more and more we're going to see these more close-knit communities coming together and, like, doing great things. And that's, yeah, doing that and then having all of us kind of intermingle together to get our stuff out there. It's just, it's a lot of fun. It's fun to be a part of and fun to yeah. watch happen. And, and I think I think I agree, and I, I think part of what we're starting to see now is, like, how do we share our audiences with each other? You know, so it's like, you know, we go on shows, but I think we're going to see more and more of that, you know, whether it's, you know, people having updates on their campaigns and pointing folks, hey, you know, if you like this, you'll probably like that. Because uh, when you think about it with comics, I mean, if you can you imagine, can you imagine if you just had 500, 500 folks right. who just loved what you were doing and we're going to and we're going to back your stuff? Yeah. You're good to go. Right. Yeah, you're good. You have a, you have a little, you know, niche of, of people that like your stuff and you can be happy with that, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, and then you don't have to compromise. You know, you can find the folks that like what you're doing. You know, and and that's I think that's the biggest thing for me in, in any kind of community is you know what? Get in where you fit in. See the things that you like. And if you don't like something, just, just keep stepping. You don't need to make any comments. You don't need to say anything if you don't like. It's not for you. That's fine. Right. Not everything right. is for everybody. Yeah. You know, find the stuff you like, support it. If there's something you don't like, just keep your mouth shut, man. Just move on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, right. Just move. I mean, it, it, Chris and I will do that on the show too. Like, if we read a new book that came out, like, listen, this isn't. I mean, I can appreciate what this was. It's not for me. But if you're into this type of stuff, you can go check this book out. You know, we won't ever like down talk on, about something. And it's, uh, yeah, it's amazing that it, some, I think some people think they have that platform to speak out and they should about things. And it's like, no, it's better to be silent sometimes. <laughs> no, seriously. And, yeah. and I think as creators, I think we can all appreciate that more, mm. you know, because, you know, we all need a little bit of grace because we're, we're creating. Yep. You know, I mean, it's like I, I also appreciate when people are trying to do something cool because sometimes you pull it off really well and sometimes you don't pull it off quite the way you want to pull it off. But I appreciate that. I'm like, OK, you know what? I see what you're doing. You're doing something cool. You know, you're 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 you've got a big vision, you know, and that's why, you know, as, as I think as a creator, I definitely have a lot more grace because I, I mean, I know I've done that, too. You know, it's like, man, that that was so much better the way it was mapped out than, yeah. <laughs> than the way it came out. <laughs> yeah, and part of the fun of comics, and it goes for a lot of media, actually, is the collaborative aspect of it. So sometimes the collaboration just doesn't work the way it's supposed to, and something along the ways doesn't hit. Sometimes it was a bad idea all along, and it's just, okay, we got to move on from it, but... 
there's a lot that goes into it. So I see sometimes where I'm just like, I kind of wish that writer just held out and worked with somebody else because I think that they had a good idea that just didn't fit with the creative team they put together. Yeah. But so speaking of that, what's uh I mean creative team, let's talk Magna the Last Pantheon because uh I remember when Chris told me we were doing this interview and showed me it, I was like, this looks awesome and I want I want to know more about this. I mean so the Indiegogo is funded, right? But you still have seven days yeah. left. Um I mean, tell us about this idea. I mean, what is Magna? So Magna is really a coming of age, and it's a hero story. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, the the way the story starts is, and it's also a little bit of a period piece, a little bit. So it it takes place in 1942. Um, So uh, it starts a good year at all. I don't nothing (laughs) nothing happening worldwide on that. Yeah, nothing at all. You know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, and it, it's like you have, you know, you you have uh, in America, you have the shadow of World War II upon mm-hmm. America, and World War II is in full effect in Europe. Right. And you, this uh, uh, young woman, she is in a fictitious city called Tree City, Idaho, and she's living with her parents, and her parents have basically kind of hidden her away uh, until this creature comes and attacks her home. And that's when you kind of get the reveal that this woman, she's extraordinary. She has extraordinary powers and she uses her powers to defend her family. And this prompts some questions uh, that lead to some answers that they did, that she didn't expect. She learns that she's adopted. Uh, she learns, um, you know, and, and kind of that revelation, um, it sends her on a journey of self-discovery. So she um, goes to the homeland of her adoptive parents uh, in Finland and in Finland, you know, world war two is fully afoot. So she finds herself in the midst of some of that action. Um, and then she also, uh, as she, as she goes to discover more about herself, finds herself amidst the conglomeration of the last of the mighty men of old. Uh, so it's a conglomeration of, uh, as guardian, a seer, uh, Olympians, um, Egyptian and Chinese, uh, pantheon members. And they've come together for the sake of survival. Now she finds herself in the midst of their struggle for survival. And as the story progresses, she learns more about herself and she becomes a linchpin both for her survival and for theirs. So that's actually my pitch without giving away any spoilers. And that's why it's called The Last Pantheon. So Magna, The Last Pantheon. Okay. And I mean, where we're at with the the Indiegogo, I mean, you're funded, right? So, I mean, this is is all set for the first volume and people are going to be getting that, right? Yeah, so going and the reason why the the goal was so low was the production was already completed before the before the campaign began. So, okay. you know, my my intent is, you know, you hope your campaign does really well, but I didn't want anyone to feel like the risk they were taking was going to be that they weren't going to get their book. Okay. So, no matter how many people were going to to follow this or or back it, they're going to get their book. Um so now we're kind of in a place where I'm like, okay, well, the reception has been good and, you know, kind of at a magnitude where, okay, we we can keep the, we'll keep this, keep this bad boy going. Now with that said, volume two is already completed as well. Oh, and wow. that'll be, that will be released later this year. So what I want to do now is with some of uh, the funds that come from this campaign, of course, we have a lot just for fulfilling but some of the other funds gonna gonna use for the next volume of Magna. 
So my intent, my desire is as I release campaigns to have the production completed already. So that's one piece people can take out of their minds about worried about, is this guy actually going to deliver? You know what? Wow. You know, he's only got, he's only raised 500 bucks. Am I not going to get my book? No, you're going to get your book. Yeah. You know, you're going to get your book. And I don't think it's much of a spoiler because it's on the Indiegogo page, but like as she goes through this self-discovery, she starts running into different uh, mythologies throughout our times. So we see Egyptian mythology, Chinese mythology, Christian mythology, all these gods and creatures that are a part of it. Like, how does that add into the story that you're telling here? Well, I think it's, it's, it's a very foundational part of the story. You know, as you know, growing up, I was a big D and D player and I always loved, uh, I loved mythology in a big way. You know, I, I was the kid that like I could spend the afternoon just reading like deities and demigods, just yep. have my head, mm-hmm. you know, and yep. then start reading other supporting material as well, uh, whether grimoires or whatever. So I, you know, I love to make, especially with comics, I love to make mashups of things that I love. You know, World War II was an amazing and horrific time in history. So, you know, and some things that, that I studied and really kind of pertaining to what was going on in that part of Europe, what was going on in between Finland and Russia, you know, at the time. Those were elements I wanted to bring to table, you know, into this. And I wanted to bring all these different pantheons that I'd studied. And the things that I... The thing that I always found interesting about these different pantheons is the stories always had a beginning, middle, and ending. So I said, well, what if I tie the endings of these different pantheons together in mm-hmm. my story? So that's kind of a part of the, you know, the through thread uh, you know, for the story and you know, tying some of these things together. And you know, I, don't, I take a lot of license. <laughs> <laughs> I take a lot of license in doing so. Um, you know, so... You know, people may not see their versions of of the particular uh, deities, or you know that they're that they're used to, but I think it's uh, it's a it's a fun story, uh, and at the end of the day, it's relatable because you have somebody that's just trying to figure out, you know, what she's about, what you know, what is what does her life amount to, you know, and that's something that everybody can, you know. You know, we, yeah. we at some time everybody, all of us have said like, man, what is this all about, and what, you know, and and what is, what am I doing here? Right. Yep. Right. <laughs> you know. Now I'm questioning myself. I thought, oof, this is a heavier interview than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. Uh, I mean, it looks. I mean, it looks amazing. The art is amazing too. So I mean, like, uh, where where did I mean? the art is just so detailed and like the very dense too. I mean, is that something you were really going for with the story? And yeah. Yeah. yeah I was, um, I, and I'm a very fortunate man, you know, to have met some really awesome artists. So Marcio Breu, who's the penciler, yeah. uh, I already knew that he had the ability to bring all these elements that I wanted to the table because you know, the story, you know, it's, it's kind of a little bit like an old school Marvel story because it takes you all over the place in a quick, in a short amount of time. Yep. You know, I mean, you're look, you know, you're, you're in the heavens, you're in mm-hmm. Idaho in 1942, you're in Finland, yep. you know, mm-hmm. you're in, you know, all these, all these different places. And, and, and also these characters are larger than life. You know, the, the book that I wrote before Black Tiger is much more of a street, street level hero. Okay. But this is, I mean, you know, these are powerhouses and I needed 
I needed that to be portrayed well in the book. Um, I needed that to be portrayed in the art. And even, even everything down to the lettering. I feel like even the letterist, uh, uh, Marco de la Verde, he captured it. I mean, it's like, you know, when people get yeah. hit and stuff happens, I mean, it's like the lettering shakes, you know. Yeah, because, yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, it moves with the hero. Yeah, I because, I mean, this stuff is all, I mean, it's like these these are, you know, Herculean beings that are, mm-hmm. you know, when they fight, it's not just uh, somebody got punched in the nose. It's yeah. somebody's going through a column, you yeah. know, you know, yeah. buildings get knocked down. Yep. You know, so you want all of that, you know, you want all of that effect, you know, from the book when you read it. And yeah. and one of the things I learned at, at Motown, when we would go to uh, Golden Apple with Mike Davis, he would pick up books. But first thing he would do is he would just go through the sequential art. And I'm like, aren't you ruining the book for yourself? He's like, no. He's like, first, he's like, he's like, if I just go through the sequential art without reading anything, I can tell if the if the sequential art is telling the story the way it should. He's like, I won't know, I won't know exactly everything, but the art should tell me I should have a flow to the story. So I start with that. Then when I go back, you know, the words should fill in the parts that I don't see. The words shouldn't tell me the stuff that I already see. It should fill in the parts that I don't see. Um, And I, I wanted to make sure from an artistic standpoint that, you know, somebody that was enjoying the flow of the story like if you pick it up, you could just enjoy the flow of the story. And even though you wouldn't know exactly what's going on, you'd have a, you know, you'd have a good feel, you know, in term. And, and it's a lot, there's a lot of action in this story too. Oh yeah, for sure. At least from what we can see. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, um, real quick. So we got Magna. The book looks awesome. Everybody go check out the Indiegogo. But this isn't the only book you've done. So we we mentioned Black Tiger a few times, so we can yeah. talk about that a little bit. So you also got a few other ones. So let's talk a little bit about the other books you've done throughout your uh, your time. Most definitely. So like you said, Black Tiger, um, that was kind of the flagship book, um, and and that you know, in terms of production, I first produced Black Tiger back in '05 and wow. through Diamond. Okay. So, um, different world, you know, when you're, when you're working, at least at the time when you're working with diamond, I didn't even know which comic book shops were getting my books. Mm. So I couldn't really, I couldn't really tell where my books were going or who, you know, where they were selling and where they weren't. So it was, you're, you know, that's okay if you're Marvel or DC and who knows, maybe they got more information too, because they're, they're moving so many books, but if you're moving, you know, if you're moving just a few thousand books, you know, which which sounds like a lot, but for that model, that's nothing because the 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 amount, the sense that you get on the dollar. I mean, I moved a lot more books through that, but I guarantee you, there's I'm gonna get a lot more capital to do more stuff with what's what we're doing with Indiegogo, even though the books are getting into fewer hands. Yeah, um, it just wasn't a sustainable model for somebody that was doing. Uh, indie books like me and um you know so but but the thing is i i guess i guess i'm just a comic book geek and i love creating so i continue to create books and honestly i didn't know exactly how they were going to be distributed other than kind of on my website so that's kind of what what i've done you know thus far um so there's another black tiger book that's coming out in march and which is kind of funny because you guys know I have some other properties, but the, the reason behind it is Black Tiger started to gain a following. 
<clears throat> from the first book, and I didn't want people to wait too long. So we have another Black Tiger graphic novel coming out uh, in the second quarter. I'll probably, by the end of this month, I'll release the uh, sign-up, the mailing list for it. Okay. And all the, the art is, all the pencils and inks are all done. So it's just a matter of um, completing some coloring and then the lettering. So that book will be, and it's written. So that book will be ready for, you know, like a Q2 uh, release. Uh, but then we also have uh, some other books that I've written. One is called uh, The Posse Fugitives. And that is that book is a combination. I mean, if I were if I were going to say, you know, if, if I had to give a pitch for that book, that's like, you know, you know, Boys in the Hood meets um, uh, almost like uh, I was I was going to say. Spider Island, but not really Spider Island, but it's more of like if it were if it were like uh, just X Men Island yeah. <laughs> wow. would be more would be more like it. Um, and but it has it has some other elements in it as well. And you know, just just kind of as a teaser, um, you know, you have uh, you have a world where basically a bunch of of um, metahumans are released on what is kind of like a New York. I, I call it uh, the, the, the uh, Decapolis, and it has ten boroughs. <laughs> oh wow! But it's, yeah. it's basically my New York. Yeah. And these these guys get released upon this uh, you know the city, and the city basically has to sh has to uh, has to be quarantined. Mm. So you have almost like a self contained ecosystem in there. And uh, some of these, a lot of villains, but then you have some heroes. And it's, it's kind of them figuring out who they are and then helping to reclaim, you know, this area. You know, so they're basically, they were fugitives from the law, but then they become fugitives in this, you know, in this, in this city that is uh, basically quarantined. And this is all, I had no idea about any kind of crazy quarantine stuff happening. This is just, <laughs> this way predates, predates yeah. that. yeah. That's crazy. Um, so I have one graphic novel's worth of content already completed and the second graphic novel in process. So um, I, I want to release that after this next Black Tiger volume. And then the other story that I have is called uh, The Orphans. And if I were going to give a pitch for that, I'd, I'd say it's almost like, I don't know, it's like uh, Gatchaman meets... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Gachaman meets Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> so it's you know it, it's a story of uh, some. Um, they're not really so much you know orphans you know as they are foster kids, uh, and they and they find themselves. They live in the same city as that's in that same uh, in the Decapolis, kind of like the guys in the posse, okay. and um, you know. They're they're on a micro scale, uh, you know. They're kind of dealing with, I guess it's, a, I guess it's a pandemic of sorts, <laughs> you know. That's you know, that, you know, that's right. running rampant, and you know, you know, they they find themselves with uh, with powers, and they're trying to they're trying to save their friends. Awesome. These all sound awesome, man. Uh, I'm so excited to get my hands on Magna. Yeah, um, that book in particular really struck with me, but the other ones sound really cool too. And it's 
it's cool to hear they got more coming down the pipeline for some of these as well. Oh, um, so to everyone out there, if you want to check out the books, uh, if you go into the uh, down below in the description, I'll have the link to John's website and the Indiegogo. So go to those, check them out, buy some books. And uh, other than that, John, where could people go to follow you further uh, into the new year? Yeah, so you can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Beyond Time Inc. Beyond Time Inc. That is also uh, my my YouTube page, um, and I'm not I'm not super um, active on YouTube, honestly. But there are some cool things there that you will find. Um, in 2014, um, a buddy of mine uh, from school who, who's uh, who's an indie film director, he, he wanted to, to uh, make a Black Tiger short film. So we actually did that. So um, so uh, Robin Shu, who played uh, Liu Kang from Mortal Kombat, yep. uh, Angela Fong, who was a WWE diva, uh, and some other folks uh, kind of lead the cast. And it's a 20-minute short. It was kind of cool. It ended up winning a Spirit of Comic-Con award. So it's very much, you know, it's not like a super high-budget comic Right. film but it is definitely kind of like comic-con level short yeah. film um it was a lot of fun and i appreciate everyone that was that was in it check that out that's 20 minutes okay. uh and we have a 10 minute animatic that uh, some artists and i put together for magna just kind of you know really testing the waters and, and I'll, I'll tell you my thoughts i mean it's like i don't i don't nearly have enough people following me to do that on a large scale but i think ultimately as people as this community grows, um, you know, people will make books, and I think people will start doing that. They'll start making, they'll start putting together whether it's animatics or animation, you know, for the projects, and they'll be able to do it without, um, you know, without really any kind of, uh, you know, having to worry about being edited, you know, in a in a in a bad way or censored. I should say, editing is good, but you know, censorship not so much, um, you know, and being able to make the stuff they actually want to make. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Thanks so much for being on. Uh, it was great talking to you, and yeah. we'll have to catch up in the future too, because uh, I can tell there's some great stuff coming down the pipeline for you. Yeah, we love to have you back on. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, John. And we're back. Awesome. So, everybody, check out Indiegogo Magna: The Last Pantheon Volume One. I mean, yeah, he's at almost fourteen hundred percent of. Of the goal, so <laughs> yeah, you're gonna get your book, and uh, yeah, the book just looks cool. It's like it's all it takes place in World War II, it's all uh, different pathologies, and uh, like they even bring in Christian mythology in it as, as well as like Greek and all this other. So it's a lot of fun. The art's amazing. Everybody, check it out. I think it's a cool book, yeah. Um, with that, let's uh, let's jump into the comic book news, yay! So, Marvel. Announcing some more uh, X-Men stuff. It's uh, it's going to be added to their X-Men lineup. Way of X is a series written by uh, C. Spurrier with art by Bob Quinn. The series is going to be led by Nightcrawler and is going to explore the dark underbelly of Krakoa. So does that interest you as an X-Men reader? A little bit. Um, if I got to say there's like a handful of characters that always interest me in the X-Men world... And Nightcrawler is one of them. Oh, sure, yeah. And and just that idea. I mean, it's a simple idea of you know the dark underbelly of Eden or of uh, or of Utopia. 
you know, what's underneath all this perfection that makes it perfection. It's a simple idea that's always a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think Nightcrawler is one of the top five, I would say, as popularity-wise, X-Men, right? Yeah, hands down. Yeah. In comic worlds, I, I would I don't know how that translates over to like TV or movie watchers, but definitely in the comics world, like Nightcrawler is a he's up there with Wolverine, definitely. Sure. So um, I'll probably check out at least the first issue to see what it's all about. I mean, we'll see. That's one way to just like get people to buy the book is put them on the cover and bang. <laughs> well, yeah, and the cover is literally him like coming out of one of his bamps. Yeah, like right. attacking. It's like yeah. it's a simple cover. It's like, oh, yeah. Nightcrawler, I'm gonna buy this. Yeah, I'm so. gonna pick it up. <laughs> exactly. Um, Steve Orlando announces a new creator-owned series called po- Project Patron, coming to Aftershock Comics. It's a series about a superhero with a secret. He's been dead for years. Hmm. It's the series gonna have art from Patrick Piazzalunga, and is coming in April. So that sounds like an interesting uh, take. Yeah, um, what was the other Orlando book? Um, Crisis something. I remember I stopped reading it because after like three issues, I kind of was just like, this book isn't for me. Right. Uh, But definitely Steve's trying to do something with superheroes. It's a little different that I feel like were pitches for Marvel and or DC at one point. And he's just like, fuck it, I'll do it myself. Which, cool, do that. I mean, he's got the fan base that'll follow him. So why not, right? Yeah. And it's said that this is going to kind of like poke some holes at a uh, uh, death of Superman and like take some of those elements and use it for here. So we'll um, see. I mean, Aftershock Comics has a good track record. I right. haven't bought a book from them I didn't like. I think it's I think it's the best spot for something like that. Yeah. Um, some sad news. Scott Snyder has said that he's taking a backseat at DC while he works on more creative owned stuff. Um, but this week, doing an interview with Newsarama, he did mention that there's two unannounced, unannounced titles he's working on at DC after Infinite Frontier number zero. Uh, one is rumored to be a Wally West Flash title, and we don't know, we don't have a rumor for the other one. Um, what do we want Snyder to be working on? I mean, I Wally West Flash title sounds awesome, I think. Uh, I think that would be. I don't think we've seen him do something like that before, right? As far as like an upbeat character that deals with time travel. No, he's done the Superman book and Batman, basically. I mean, I know he's done other things in between, yeah. but that's kind of his two big ones that everybody knows about. Um, I think it's. I think it's an interesting. Uh, take if he does do the wall, wall us, I, what I want him to do, and I mean we're gonna talk about this after uh, talk about the books we read this week. But give me give him a Justice Society book, please. Just Society at this point, I'll take anybody. Just give yeah, me a Justice right. Society book. Um, Wally West Flash, like if Snyder's attached, I'll check it out. Mm-hmm. I have no affinity for Flash or Wally West, so. But he has said that he likes that character and he thinks that the character deserves redemption because he's kind of been shit on for years upon years at DC. Um, selfishly, I wouldn't mind him doing Aquaman because oh, I yeah. just love Aquaman. That'd be cool. Right. Um, you know, and, and if they, and it, I mean, the time, I'm just thinking out loud, but the timing would be right for, you know, the next Aqua movie coming, Aquaman movie coming up. Gotta yeah. Make this character popular again. Let's put Scott Snyder on the book. And they haven't done uh, 
they haven't announced an Aquaman book for Infinite Frontier yet, so that you know would be awesome. Right. This won't happen because they've already announced. But uh, I would love to see him do Green Lantern too. Like, I think they got a cool cast of characters there. He could do something uh, pretty vast on his own, kind of in his own corner of the DC universe, out in space, where he doesn't have to worry about everybody else, and uh, do something cool. Maybe you know bring a almost like Thanos level threat into that universe. I, I I would just like to see him do more stuff. I mean, I'm excited for his creator own stuff, um, but he is still to me, like a superhero guy. Yeah. As, as much as I enjoy his creator own stuff, I just, I like his superhero stuff more. So yeah, I mean, he, he does a great job with it. Um, that being said, I mean, I don't want him to get, you know, spread himself too thin on this stuff where, like, some, something's going to start lacking, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Well, so American Vampire is going to be over in a few months, and I got to assume he's close to done with mm-hmm. his part with it. And then Undiscovered Country's coming out weekly or monthly, so I assume that's going to keep going on. He's got that book Nocturnal that just got uh, put in previews. So, I mean, four books makes sense if he has those two plus two at DC. Like, four books is a, a solid slate for any writer to hang on to. I could, I'd be fine with that. Um, yeah, so, I mean, the, I mean, we, we're huge fans of Scott Snyder, so anything he writes, we'll probably end up picking up and reading anyways. Um, yeah. But speaking of Scott Snyder, we might as well talk about what we read this week, huh? And I guess we'll save Death Metal for last. Yeah, we'll save Death Metal for the end so we can spoil the crap out of it. Yeah. Um, let's see here. I had... So we'll save Death Metal. Read a couple future states. Um, we'll just start off with future state Harley Quinn number one. Because honestly, I never have read a Harley Quinn book before. Um, but our girl Stephanie Phillips is on it. And Simone DeMeo with the art. Um... And I really like this book. Uh, it kind of poked fun at the whole Dragon Harley Quinn through all these different stages. Yep. And uh, at the first, the first couple pages, right, they make fun of, like, oh, how she's been dragged through, like, you know, Daddy's Little Monster and all these stupid nicknames they've given her. Um, so, you know, Stephanie Phillips is very aware of, like, where the character's been, you know. Uh, where she started, where she's been, the iterations, what people have liked, what people have not liked. Um, so we find some t- it's like some type of futuristic setting. Out there's no real. I mean, each each one of these future state books comes off the back of death metal. And this is spoilers aside. I mean, we have a new multiverse. Obviously, these are books called Future State, um, and I believe each book is a different universe. I would assume. Yeah, so the, if you read the beginning little uh, thing on the first page, I don't know if it's... That's the only Future State book I read this week, so I don't know if it's in every Future State book. It was in the two that I read. But it says, uh, like, you know, this is... After the events of Death Metal, blah, 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 we, the uh, multiverse was restored. Uh, all uh, stories are restored, blah, blah, blah. And these are possible futures for heroes. So I got that idea, too, where, like... This isn't necessarily taking place in mainstay DC continuity. It may be just like a story that is happening in a different multiverse as a possible future for the characters. It yeah. seemed to me like a way to just do two months of fun stories without yeah, worrying and, about continuity. And exactly that's what it was. I mean, not knowing anything about any of the continuity stuff, 
Um, we're in a future. We are in the future state. I mean, it's like a like you know very. It almost reminds me of like a cyberpunk setting. Um, Harlem. Batman Beyond is what I got from it. Yeah, Batman Beyond. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so Harley gets captured. Uh, Crane is, uh, you know, Scarecrow um, is running the uh, the division that captures her and says, "Hey, if you want any sort of um, chance at being let free or any type of freedom, you would help us catch these." Gotham villains and they st- start right off with Professor Pig um, and she kind of like you know breaks down the villain and what he is and then they helps capture them and then they talk about uh, Firefly and how to capture him and then the main goal being is uh, uh, Crane wants to catch Black Mask and it seems that like Black Mask isn't just a single entity he has everybody in Gotham wearing Black Mask almost like worshipping him uh, kind of like a Joker thing with like the clowns um, which is interesting, and that's that's who they've set up for her to take down. Um, it was a really good, solid first issue, I think. Yeah, and it hit all the right notes. Uh, they talk about her being a you know a psychiatrist, or at least yep. a disgraced psychiatrist, <laughs> and that explaining why she's able to do the things she's doing in terms of like breaking down the characters and everything. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I got huge uh, Batman Beyond vibes because instead of the Joker clan. It's the Black Mask gang, and like the setting is right, and there's also kind of the backdrop that there is some sort of superhero registration going on where you couldn't wear a mask without being a known quantity. So there was a lot of cool stuff going on here, and it got me, yeah, it got me excited for Harley Quinn for the first time in my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, and Stephanie, you're killing it, so keep it up. I mean, every character you've touched at DC has just been awesome, so. Um, I unearth number nine. This is the Cullen book, Kyle Strand book. Uh, you know more of the more of that stuff of you know body dysmorphia, weird horror, um, worshiping alien beings. Uh, we kind of get a little more exploration of like when people become one with this giant like monster thing, they experience like a utopia, like they've gone to heaven. Um, so we we get that from like the main doctor character, like that's what she finds out. Um. She was in a convent with like a, a cult leader that had like uh, made himself like part of the monster, and she ends up killing him in the issue, and then meets up with the um, the like military group that they've been kind of separated because she was you know infiltrating this cult. So uh, still a solid series, you know, Colin Bunn doing the horror thing. So uh, still uh, still pretty cool. Uh, Future State Swamp Thing now. Um, when you told me you only read one future state book, you should read this book. Uh, this was not the swamp thing that I was expecting. I number one, okay, so Ram Ram V is writing it, um, and Mike Perkins art. Holy shit, dude! Uh, Mike Perkins drawing this book is like, I yeah, like Ram V is writing some good shit. But I was, <laughs> so the, we're in a world where the earth just naturally humans die from all the shit going on. And they, they didn't even say it was like a war. It was just like, you know, a, not a virus either. It was like, you know, either just decaying over time, the plant growth, whatever, just it, humans have died off essentially. And now we have swamp thing and there's a whole, like there's a whole group of swamp thing, like characters. There's a guy named Indigo. Who's like a blue character. Um, there's a, I can't remember the, the name of another character, but, um, 
these each of these characters are individual, even though they're like plant based. You know what I mean? You think they would all just kind of like blur to be the same type of Swamp Thing character? And I think it's assumed that he makes these characters when the when the Earth um, dies. So like he's and his like Swamp Thing keeps like telling all these plant people that like we need to find humans. Like if you if, like we need humans for some reason. Like as much as they these these you know plant matter don't think they need humans because that was like the bane of their existence you know destroying nature um they kind of see swamp thing as their leader and he's still looking for a human so lo and behold by the end of the issue we find a human um and swamp thing's talking to him like where do you come from and he kind of says that he was in a star labs fortress um and broke away with a group of people uh so we get a glimpse of that Star Labs fortress, and there's a person being held there in like a in a in a tank. And the person being held there is Obsidian. And if anybody knows um, JSA, Obsidian is the son of Alan Scott. Um, oh yeah, 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 the black costume, black cape. So he's being held for some reason in a in a Star Labs facility. I don't know if they're like using the powers from him because I think he. I'm not. I'm not too sure what you know, iteration of his powers are going to be doing if he's going to be like cosmic or something. Um, but there's someone that is, is using him and we get a glimpse of the person and it almost looks like, um, uh, I can't think of the, the, one of the villains from Swamp Thing, but the guy's very decrepit and like decaying and, and he's like, you're going to use Obsidian to fight Swamp Thing or like take over the earth again. So crazy setup. Uh, Obsidian, I think a character that isn't really explored a lot because obviously Justice Society, so bam. If you give me a Justice Society character in a Swamp Thing book, I'm there, baby. Let's go. Um, yeah. Great, solid. I think you would really enjoy the issue. So I know you said you only picked one up, but uh, yeah, it was awesome. Check that out. And then uh, crossover number three, Donny Cates, Jeff Shaw. I'm sure you read this too, right? Oh, yes, I did. What a crazy issue. You, I mean, I don't know where to begin with this, but... Um, we get a lot of so we find out where the the main character um i don't know her name is it ella ellie ellie we find out that she her parents get her out of the dome before it closes up pretty much um like we see that whole we see that whole event happening at the start of the issue right yeah i love i got to say i love the beginning of this issue because he basically just name drops watchmen yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he talks right. about this book about these uh, this giant squid comes out and unites the world, blah blah blah. But then it happens in this world, and what what happens? Nope. Yeah. It doesn't unite the world. It still it, goes on as it is. They make bigger bombs. He says, which is probably yeah. what would actually happen. <laughs> and the idea that the the bubble is not to protect us from them; it's to protect them from us. Yeah. Um. So we get kind of the background that they're the ones that created the bubble, not us. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, go ahead. And so, you know, they're with the little girl. Um, we know that she has powers from last issue. They paint her face so she, you know, that she's not noticeable. And then they try to get her through a checkpoint, um, to the dome. Meanwhile, we know that, um, the preacher's son that really likes comic books is working with the FBI. He runs away from home because his dad is abusive and crazy. Um, and he ends up meeting up with this group, you know, while they're stuck. Um, they're stuck in line to get through this checkpoint. Then this giant kaiju and robot start fighting, and we see this. They, they. I don't know how they get away with dropping like Doctor Strange and like Marvel character names and stuff like that. I don't know if Donnie is like asked permission to do so. Um, that or there's probably some fair use practices where you're yeah. you're 
you're not really using Doctor Strange. You're right. uh, you're kind of picking fun at the idea of it. So there's probably some legal bias there. But um, yeah. But we meet this group of heroes called the Paybacks, and this is the guy that helped uh, the young girl get out of the dome. So they meet up with everybody. He's trying to get everybody out, and they won't listen to him. He's like, "Come on with me, get in our van." They don't want to get in the van, surprisingly. So he just kind of like blips everybody to their headquarters of where the uh, paybacks are. And then they start talking about like there's some meta stuff going on about like the paybacks. It was a series for Dark Horse. I've never read the paybacks, and it said you can find it at your local comic shop. So um, real quick, I recently read the paybacks. Okay, because it's a like very old Donnie Cates book and it's before I knew who Donnie was. Wow, that's awesome. So I picked up and read it recently. It's it's pretty good. It's not some of his better stuff, but it's yeah. it's kind of a suicide squad like book. Okay. Where like they owe these heroes owe a debt to somebody so they have to go and work for them on this team. Um, so you might enjoy it, but yeah, that's yeah. what that book is. It does really, okay, really that's, exist. That's funny that it's his character so that makes more sense. Yeah. Um so we, by the end of it, we meet that head guy that the little girl had drawn a picture of him that we thought would be like a Superman, and it was this guy with like a lightning bolt exclamation point on his chest. Um, and that's kind of where the issue ends. So uh, I don't know anything about that character. I don't know. Is he in the paybacks? No, that's an old... Um, oh, shit. Um, all red character. Oh. Madman. So that's actually huge for like indie superhero people. Um, okay. I read all I read all Red's book, um, Mad Men, and I abs- I love it. I think it's a lot of fun. It's very like weird and meta, yep. and it's uh, it's very early like indie superhero stuff. So a lot of people were talking about the like the final reveal here and who it was. A lot of people were like wondering who it was going to be. Is it going to be Spawn? Is it going to be Batman? And no, it's Mad Men. So. It was kind of crazy that that's who it was. Okay, so and I didn't know who the character was, but he seemed pretty popular and cool. So um, I, I guess we'll see where it goes from there. Um, yeah, and then I just have Dark Knight's Death Metal to talk about. So okay, um, I burned through quick because I have some I want to go into detail. But uh, Modok had games number two. So last issue we met up with uh, Iron Man, and they're kind of working together to try to fix Modok. This issue is them realizing they have to go find a, a Stark Industries device that got stolen. And it's the device that Modok stole in the last issue while he was still with AIM. So they have to go to this convention, and it's the supervillains convention, where they go to like buy old technology and like share ideas with each other. And they go there together, kind of dressed up as a, it was Tony Stark as a, a Hydra agent. And then Modok went in cosplay as... A, uh, Zola, <laughs> and they go in and they have like all these interactions, and it was a lot of fun. It's really funny. I think this uh, the series is really good. Even I've talked to a few people who like aren't crazy Modok fans like me, and they're really enjoying it too. So I think people should check that out. Uh, Thor number eleven was really good. It's basically uh, we're getting Blake is going around and he's slowly killing anybody that was at any point a Thor, and he has his interaction with Jane Foster. Um, All right. Really good. Definitely check that book out. Uh, Venom number 32 is Eddie is in kind of this void where he doesn't realize he's dead yet. And then what, the character back from Venom 
comes mm-hmm. in and kind of tells him, like, listen, like, you're dead. We're in kind of an astral uh, venom symbiote space. Mm-hmm. And uh, Eddie decides that he's not going to give up like that. He's He proclaims, like, I'm not going to die like that. So we get kind of, like, Eddie's afterlife in this and how it's going to tie back into uh, King and Black. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man 52 is the explanation of why Green Goblin teamed up with Kingpin and what his intentions with his son are moving forward. And uh, the best part of this issue was the fact that Kingpin had basically captured the spot and is now using him to create prisons in Spot World. That's awesome. So more Spot all the time. Uh, Spider-Man is really good. Star Wars number 10, uh, we got this like weird ancient robot that they find that has a old language that they want to use to create military codes with. And when they awaken this robot, they realize he's a dick. <laughs> and uh, he's just, but he's also a practical dick because he's like, listen, I could give you the, the language and let you download it. But then what are you going to do with me? You're just going to turn me off again? Like, I ain't going down like that. Yeah. And, uh, there's definitely some background to this robot that we don't know because he's been very maniacal and he's actually, uh, he has to connect with Lobot to able to function properly. And he finds out that through their connection, he can also mess with Lobot's programming. And, um, he's slowly starting to kill Lobot and just telling everybody like, Oh, it's just, you know, it's part of the connection. Hmm. So the, uh, the issue ends with a, uh, a conflict between, uh, two characters who are trying to decide, like, do we kill? Does Lobot deserve to die, or does another person deserve to die? Um, Guardians of the Galaxy number ten. This is tying him with King in Black, but what it's really doing is trying to bring Peter Quill back. So we had the last issue where Peter was in this like parallel dimension, and he learned these new abilities, and now he's over back in ours, and he has this like weird power that connects with his elemental gun that makes him a little bit more powerful. And they use that power to defeat one of the symbiote dragons heading the Spartics. And then the issue ends with uh, them being like, well, we should go to earth and help them out. And Peter's saying like, no, I can't do that. If I go there, it's going to make things worse because reasons. And, uh, then he realized, but there's something else coming for us that we need to take care of. And that's when they bring, back the gods of Olympus and say like they're coming and we need to take care of them. Damn. And anybody remembers the gods of Olympus have been reborn as this, um, these gods that are live in space and Olympus is, it's basically remaking the gods of Olympus to be like the gods from uh, Asgard, except they look like Superman villains from Superman four. <laughs> um, Miles Morales, Spider-Man 22. This was kind of a break issue. It was one of those like, Hey, Spider-Man, go chill out. And then a giant mummy appears and he has to fight him. Um, it's a lot of fun, but that's you know what the book really was. Yeah. Uh, the Eternals, number one. This is the Kieran Gill and Asab Ribic bringing back the Eternals. And what this really was was them like, reintroducing who the Eternals are, what they do, bringing them back to Earth, having them give an interaction with some heroes there and uh, so that we know their place in the Marvel uh, pantheon. And then they end it with uh, going back into their history of when they, they had some conflict and things happened and their home planet basically blew up. And when they get there to kind of figure something out, uh, Thanos shows up because... Uh, of course. 
why not? It's really good, and it's Sad Rivik doing the art, so it's awesome. Mm, cool. Uh, and then my last one before Death Battle was uh, Star Wars: The High Republic Number One. Yep. I was super excited for this because a Star Wars, I love Star Wars, but b I have always talked about how we need to get away from the Skywalker era and do more outside of that in Star Wars, and that's what they're doing now with the High Republic. So this we're introduced to two our two main characters. One's a pad one and a, a woman. I forget her name. And then we have her master, who is this like lizard person who's missing an arm from a battle, and uh, she has to go on her final like mission to train to become a Jedi Knight. And when it happens, she gets interrupted by these like giant space locusts that come in and try to destroy this little town. And instead of finishing her trial. She decides to save the, the town instead. And uh, in the background of this, like the, the Jedi Republic has created this new satellite that's supposed to help people in the uh, move throughout the Outer Rim with better ease because the Outer Rim has not been explored at this point in time. And we find out that that satellite is actually creating a frequency that's messing with these space locusts. And... Uh, so the Padawan figures that out, saves the day, and then we find out that even though she failed her trial to save these, they still gave her her uh, ascendance to a Jedi Knight. Cool. And they have this whole like thing at the end where she becomes a Jedi Knight. We get a quick introduction to Yoda, because Yoda's alive during this, and he's mm. a, a younger version of himself. Cool. Um, and some of the Jedi Council in this. There's a lot of like backstory to this and introducing us to what the world is and what the Jedi are in this. I really, really, really enjoyed it. If awesome. you're a Star Wars fan, even a lapsed one, I think this is a great book to jump on because you don't need to know much. Like it's it's introducing a whole new world to you here with very similar elements like lightsabers, the force and all that. And uh it ends obviously with a cliffhanger where there's something wrong with the Jedi Knight from the beginning and we don't know quite what that is. So I'm looking forward to more. Yeah, that sounds cool. I did also, I just have the sleeve here, but I did also pick up the Charles Soule Light of the Jedi novel, and I'm going to start reading that soon, too. Nice. So, that's awesome. all I had. Mike, where can people find you on the internet? Find me at Fortress Ricker on Twitter. Where can they find you and the show? Well, they can find me at Fortress Chris on Twitter, and they can find the show at FortressOfComicNews.com. Or on any podcatcher you like. So if you go on there and you're listening to us on a podcast, remember to give us the five-star review. And if you're watching this on the YouTube, to like, subscribe, share, comment down below. And uh, I hope you all are enjoying the differences with the YouTube, cutting the show up into different parts, trying to make it a little more bite-sized for everybody. Um, let me know what you're thinking of that in the comments as well. Uh, and if you want to be the super ultra mega listener, we've always got the Patreon at patreon.com slash fortress of comic news. You can go there and get some special perks as well. Uh, so everybody, thanks so much for listening. If you're leaving us now before the death metal spoiler talk, we will see you all next week. And for the rest of you, let's talk about the end of dark Knight's death metal. Yeah. So, uh, JSA is back. End of discussion. No, um, Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. There was, I mean, obviously we had the big fight with uh, what giant Wonder Woman and, and Batman who laughs, but that was probably the least interesting part about the book. Um, for all yeah. the other shit going on. Um, 
you know, Batman keep or the Batman who laughs keeps talking about the hand of creations are coming to, you know, take over the world anyways, so it doesn't matter if you beat me. Um she still has like she has like the will to fight and and does that. She, I mean, she she beats the Batman who laughs and she talks with the hand of creation of and they end up sparing Earth. Um and they they basically say that she's the reason, you know, like she was the glimmer of hope. Or the like the the focal point, right? Yeah. Um, and so we see like the older iteration of her, but they also create the so the the like the most important part of this issue is like the last few issue, pages where they talk about a new multiverse being created, and a new multiverse where Earth One isn't the center of it, and yeah. there's now an Elseworld, literally named a planet named an Elseworld. <laughs> Um, so I don't know what that's going to bring because we have a whole multiverse. We've, we've talked Elseworld stories, but then they all, at the last end of it, they show the JSA and like a splash or, you know, like a all together, like roll call. So, I mean, obviously they're teasing us that we, you know, they brought the JSA back finally. Um, and obviously this has sparked all these other books coming into future state, but, uh, I thought it was a great wrap up. I mean, Scott Snyder, did it again, you know, made us interested in death metal again. Um, yeah. And I mean, we didn't really get to see the new multiverse yet. And that's all I really wanted to do. So. Yeah. There's a great Batman moment here where the Robin oh, King yeah. like cuts his hand off. Yeah. And it was like, haha, you can't use the ring now. And he's like, you should know better. I'm fucking Batman. Right. Yeah. You, you don't ever, you, know, you don't ever like try to just one up Batman like that. Yeah. And I like that the last, <laughs> I mean, some of the last pages when, like, they're having a party and, like, Batman and Superman and the Flash are in a band yeah, are kind that of part, cheesy. Yeah, about, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, like, some old school shit where they're, like, playing in a band at a party. He's, like, playing yeah. bass. Batman's playing bass or something. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. But they also introduced this, like, this new fortress that's outside of, like, a view behind the moon. And it's got all these characters that are going to look and try to look into what's going on with like them no longer being the center of the multiverse and all this. So there's some really cool things there. Yep. And then the end with like Sergeant rock writing in his book and being like, he was the one telling the story the whole time. Right. There, there's just a lot of good elements here. And I like that. They just flat out said, like, it doesn't matter how messy it is. Every story counts. Every story is here. It's all just meshed into one world, and we don't have to worry about like what stories happened that didn't happen. They all happened. We'll figure it out later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, the giant spaghetti mess, but we'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a great ending. I did too. And like we've said like four times in the show now, it just got me really excited to get a JSA book. I hope they announce one soon. Yeah, they better, because I they can't tease us like that and not, so... But they've been teasing us about that for going on two years now because JSA was supposed to be coming back for the Doomsday Clock. And then it was, yeah, going to lead into this. And then there's been so much. And I just, they need to just announce something and get it out there. Do it already. But uh, all right. Thanks for sticking around. Everybody, thanks. And uh, we'll see you all next week.